The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. The House Show. For over 38 weeks, the revolutionary force in retro sports entertainment podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, the Retro Network and the House Show proudly present to you this spooktacular time. <laughs> Let's welcome the trio's tag team champions of the world. The master library. Heaven straight out of hellions. Sweet Maddie, trick or treats. And the educator of exorcisms. Collectively known as the Haunted House Show. Enter at your own risk. Halloween Havoc 2000. On today's card, we see the natural-born thrillers take on the filthy animals, and they take on the Boogie Knights in a three-way dance for the WCW World Tag Team Championship. In a hardcore match for the WCW Hardcore Championship, we see Sergeant Awall battle Reno. In a tag team match, the perfect event takes on the Misfits in action. In another tag team match, we see Conan and Tigress take on Shane Douglas and Tori Wilson. In a First Blood DNA match, David Flair battles Buff Bagwell. In a kickboxing match, Ernest the Cat Miller battles Mike Sanders. Vampiro then battles Mike Awesome. In a handicap match for the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship, we see Landstorm and Jim Duggan take on General Hugh G. Rection. In a singles match, Jeff Jarrett battles Sting. Then for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship, we see Scott Steiner taking on Booker T. And then in our main event, in a handicap elimination match, we see Goldberg battle Chronic. Welcome everyone to our final edition of the Haunted House Show. Are you guys ready for the final edition of the Haunted House Show? Uh, it's been an episode in the making, almost three months, man. Let's do this. It is crazy to think about. It is me, as always, Mr. Maddie Treats, and I'm joined by my trio's tag team partner, as you have just heard, the educator of exorcisms. Educator, uh, question for you. Yeah. Another another year wiser. That's the rumor. Huh? <laughs> happy happy uh, belated birthday here. Of course, if you listened to the run-in, we talked about how uh, the run-in went up a day before your birthday. What did you do for your birthday? Anything exciting? Oh, no, not too, too much. I ended up taking a, a personal day off of work on uh, the 14th uh, just to stay home because I've got a child that is on quarantine from school and uh, my turn to stay home and be dad. Uh, but on, on my actual birthday, regular school day, ended up working the game store as well. And then had a family gathering at the house, just immediate, uh, just wife and the kids kind of deal. And uh, a couple of gifts were dropped off. So uh, it was a good time. Had a, had a good time. Enjoyed, enjoyed the company with the family. Nice. Nice. Well, you know what? Happy birthday from us here at the house show. Uh, everyone out there, please go to his social media account. <laughs> wish him a happy birthday as you know. Um, and. 
to my, was it left, right? I think it's to my right. Guys, this is the first time. So Kevin has upgraded his his uh, his rig, if you will, right? You've upgraded the rig, Kevin? Yep, uh, 18-wheeler rig. I got a sleeping cab in it and, you know, some satellite. Yeah, yeah. So Kevin's got a new computer. He's got a new microphone. I can tell he's feeling himself. He's got a little swag going because you just popped open a white claw and you tried to hide it from us. <laughs> I was not trying to hide the beverage. I was trying to muffle the noise a little bit. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. But I, I popped it open of the educator's birthday. Hey, thank also you, the fact that I bought these for my wife like a month ago and they've just sat there. If there's any man that knows how to muffle, it is definitely Kevin Hellion. So um, are you guys ready for Halloween Havoc 2000? We're uh, ending with we discussed this, obviously. Oh. Yeah, this is something we discussed this for the in your house pay-per-views where I said, I forget what episode it was, but it was a Mad Libs pay-per-view. That is what this really is is a Mad Libs pay-per-view. This wasn't even an awful Monday Nitro. This is just, I, I, oh, this was a chore to sit through. This, this was, I, 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 it is, it is painfully obvious why WCW was heading in the direction of within six months going out of business. It's crazy to see uh, the direction of the storylines the direction of the characters, the 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 who was deemed as the the top talent and who they were pushing forward and oh man, not good, not good at all. See, and I should have known we were in for trouble when our ninety nine episode went up. I had listeners contact saying you thought that was bad. Just wait, just wait. It's it's interesting, uh, two thousand here because. I never watched this pay-per-view. This is my first time ever watching this event. I don't know about you guys, if you've ever seen this. I had no memory of watching anything that happened on here. I it's The Sting match blew me away because I did not remember any of that whatsoever. And I, you, know, you know what's crazy. funny? I wish they could redo that Sting match, but instead of Jeff Jarrett, it was Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania crazy and it was like a deconstruction of cinematic match yeah i might have a note (laughs) saying the same thing all right i mean in all honesty it 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 is crazy to think about so why don't we get right into it um because you know the quicker we get through this guys the quicker we can go to next week's episode the gingerbread house show where if you think this is bad (laughs) <laughs> Just wait till you watch Santa with Muscles. Of course, if you want to join us, uh, Santa with Muscles is on many streaming platforms. The one we've been throwing people to is 2 by TV because it is free to watch. You just download the app. It, there's some ads on there. It is okay. Um, it does make it seem a little longer than it is, but that's the way to go. Also, too, click in the show notes, fun.com. Save 15% off one item there. Uh, I don't think you'll get it in time for Christmas at this point uh, with everyone probably getting gifts mailed and uh, everything go to your house and with COVID and everything. But, you know, get something nice for yourself. You may have a, uh, you know, educator has a birthday in December. I have a birthday in January. So you may have someone that has a birthday around that time. So, you know, nice little surprise, Uh, you know, a little, little something, something for, for those people. Uh, out there so uh so let's get right into it guys 
The date is October 29th. This is the year 2000. We are once again in Paradise, Nevada, a.k.a. on the Vegas Strip. We're at the MGM Grand Garden Arena. Uh, 7,500 in attendance. Still drawing, a, crowd, right? still drawing a big gate, but well shy of, of what they have had. Oh, my goodness. And unfortunately, some of the uh, backstage skits or the brawls in the crowd really show how empty the arena is or how closed off some of the areas are to try to make the make the arena look a lot fuller with more fan engagement but yeah just everything's starting to dwindle at this point and it is not good but we got to see all that footage of all the fans pouring into the building and pamela paulshock interviewing random fans as they're waiting to get inside but they're already inside they're just waiting to get to the other inside yeah, so we get a video of the fans are seem to be super excited for this event. Uh, the intro video is really weird. <laughs> What's going on? And then we get basically what is a raw set now with a big jumbotron. There is the not Titan Tron. Yeah, it, it is just Halloween Havoc in name at this point. There is nothing Halloween related, and it's really it's it's kind of sad where we started the event and. Um, you know, they, they did little things. They had the, you know, the orange canvas and then we saw the sets. And then of course we got the, the, the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown here and the, the previous pay-per-views, but now to have that completely wiped out, I mean, just what a sham this is as a Halloween Havoc event. Ghetto Turner vision, the big screen here. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, that's what it was called. It was Turner vision. No, baby. no you're, right, you're right. I know. And then, um, it's just it's unfortunate the 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 shambles that we are heading in and again clear clear indication why we're ready to shut shutter right down in about six seven months. Uh, who was it? Tony at the opening said this is sports entertainment. I was like, oh god, really? You were the wrestling company not that long ago. What happened? Well, we know what happened. But. Yeah. Um, so this is presented by <gasps> Backstage Assault. Now, educator. Ooh. We got to ask you because you do run the game store. How much does a copy of Backstage Assault go for nowadays? Uh, if we had a copy at the store, if it had the manual, maybe four ninety nine. And when I mean four ninety nine, I'm not talking PlayStation Five four ninety nine. I'm talking four dollars and ninety nine cents. But you, but what you're saying is you don't have copies in stock because it is the hottest gift of 2020. <laughs> Probably the hottest selling P- PS1 game ever. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know what? We're going to get right into it because, number one, this pay-per-view doesn't acknowledge that the announcers are there. I didn't even know who was on commentary until uh, probably after this match, I, I would say. Uh, but we get right into it. Match number one on our card getting us started is, of course, a favorite of the crew here is Disco Inferno. At this point, he was just known as Disco. With a Q. Uh, right. With a Q to take on Cisco from Q, the Fong baby. Song. And Alex Wright, a.k.a. Boogie Knights. They're taking on Mark Jindrak and Sean O'Hare, the Natural Born Thrillers. And they are taking on the Filthy Animals in a three-way dance. Now, my question to you guys is, Jindrak and O'Hare, are they as good as Ole and Arndt, the Andersons. <laughs> Not a chance. Oh. Don't get me wrong. There's There was definite upside to O'Hare. Uh, there was upside to both of them. But to make the comparison to Ole and Arn at this stage in their career, nope, not today. Over and over again, for 
every one of the natural born thrillers, I just think, imagine if NXT was around and they could have been trained right and had time to be polished before being on WCW main roster. Cause there's so much potential there, but just not put together yet. Yeah, absolutely. I actually remember during the invasion invasion angle, how excited I was for Jindrak and O'Hare because I thought they really would have been able to step up and really take the the mantle for it because they show great flashes. I mean, their athleticism is off the charts too for, for their size. They have the look, uh, but it just wasn't meant to be. Um, the first person on commentary guys is Conan is the first one. And he's not even <laughs> part of the commentary team, but he's the first one that is, um, you know, announced for this. Um, so our, our commentary team guys for the pay-per-view is Tony Schiavone, Mark Madden, and Stevie Ray. Um, what did you guys think of this commentary team? Because it, it was so annoying. Mark Madden um, just saw way too many Kevin Smith movies and just tried to get himself over with stupid commentary, you know, sound bites from the various movies. Him doing the impressions did not at all help his position or help his commentary. Super, uh, yeah. Stevie Ray, I I get the idea of you're taking a former or a professional wrestler and having them do commentary. Um, he had sound bites here and there that were kind of funny, but you know, still very very new to the process and just trying to get his footing in. Certainly nowhere near as polished as what Taz is or even what Samoa Joe at this point. He's what six eight months in now doing uh doing his his gig. Um, just wasn't anywhere near the level, but you know, good to see that he was getting the opportunity, but yeah, Mark Madden, uh, Mark Madden can just eat a bag. Of <laughs> <laughs> Do we have to censor that? <laughs> I'll probably throw a beep in there. All right. Um, Mark Madden is a court jester performing for the King. He's doing a show for one. I don't know who that one is. If it's Russo, if it's Bischoff, it's, if it's whoever in the back. He's not doing a show for the fans. He's not doing a show for the benefit of the wrestlers or the action in the ring. He's doing a show for one person. And I would even be willing to bet that one person does not know Kevin Smith, has not seen the movies, and Madden's just flat out stealing the content and passing it off as his own. Oh, maybe. Yeah, no, probably. yeah, Mark Madden just... Was Mark Madden like an FM DJ? He because he, he was doing the backstage stuff beforehand, you know, it was uh, it was something the commentary was really bad, but uh, the action though I didn't think was that bad, it was very fast paced, spot fast. I mean, there's no direction, I mean, it is non stop, uh, would fit right in well with AEW tag teams, though, pretty yeah. much, yeah. Um, some of the coverage I'm gonna have for tonight, it's just gonna be just random spot after random spot, just no real direction, no consistency. Not a lot of storytelling going on in this show tonight. So, so anyways, educator, why don't you go ahead and break this one down now? But before we get going, guys, we we do have to mention that usually there's a little suspense when we when we introduce you know who's going to call the match. But of course, if you remember, and I know everyone out there listening listened to last week's episode, is Kevin Hellions. We already know what your Halloween Havoc metal breakdown of the night is going to be, right? Did you say mental breakdown of the night? Well, maybe after this pay-per-view. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But yes, we you called an audible last week. Absolutely. And might I say, that match delivered. So, it didn't it, though. <laughs> so, 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 Educator, why don't you go ahead and break down this one? 
So we have the former Disco Inferno, now just called Disco, tagging up with Alex Wright, who at the last episode we just did was Berlin, but now is the Alex Wright character. Uh, we start with all all the teams in the ring. We start with Disco Inferno. Uh, actually, I'm sorry, Alex Wright starting with Mark Jindrak, and we have Billy Kidman that's just standing off to the side. Start of the match, Alex Wright does a drop kick to Mark Jindrak. Eventually, Kidman gets involved and does a head scissors onto Alex Wright for a takedown. We see Rey Mysterio Jr. tag in. He tries to do a Bronco Buster to Alex Wright, but Alex Wright ends up putting his feet up, and Rey Jr. ends up crotching himself on the feet of Alex Wright. We see Mark Jindrak with an impressive tilt-a-whirl side slam when Rey Mysterio Jr. tried to do a springboard off of the middle rope. Disco and Ray end up doing a combination drop toe hold leg drop onto Sean O'Hare. Ray Jr. ends up doing a springboard falling splash from the top rope onto Disco. Alex Wright hits a missile drop kick off of the top rope to hit Sean O'Hare. Alex Wright and Mark Jindrak end up doing a double team press slam uh, flapjack to Billy Kidman. We see Ray Jr. with a guillotine leg drop springboard off of the top rope onto Sean O'Hare in the match. Kidman hits his Kid Crusher on prettier finisher to Alex Wright. We see Ray Jr. being successful hitting the Bronco Buster onto Disco. Disco does hit the last dance, which we hear Stevie Ray keep calling it the Chart Buster, the Chart Buster. So I knew at some point it was called the Chart Buster when I had mentioned that last episode. Disco hits that last dance chart buster stunner to Jindrak. And as he goes for the pin, Ray Jr. does a springboard from the apron to the top rope, the top rope to a leg drop to Disco in the back of his head to break up the pinfall. And then as a result of Disco being knocked down from that leg drop, Sean O'Hare takes advantage. He does his Shantan bomb off of the top rope onto a down Disco for the one, two, three pinfall victory. The winners of the match retaining their tag team championship, members of the Natural Born Thrillers, Mark Jindrak, Sean O'Hare. Post-match, we end up seeing Alex Wright going crazy. He's beating up Ray Jr. with a chair. He has a chair shot to Kidman. Conan, who's on commentary, threatens to do a run-in. He finally does do the run-in, but then Jindrak and O'Hare start stomping on Conan's back, supposedly injuring him putting a very suspective question as to whether or not he'll be able to participate in the mixed tag match later on. Um, as the beatdown uh, continues from both teams, we hear Sergeant Awal's music. He ends up doing a run-in and ends up breaking everything up. And then randomly, without a segment in between, he we see the crew setting up for his hardcore match and then his opponent for his hardcore match, Reno from the Natural Born Thrillers gets introduced to the ringside area. So now I do kind of like the idea of one segment naturally flowing into another. A wall coming out to protect the other misfits, or no, not even the other misfits. A wall coming out to go after him makes sense. It flowing into the next match makes sense. And then there's a, a moment later on in the evening where we're following one wrestler and then we see another and it just kind of naturally goes. I'm all right with that. And it makes sense. And there's a flow of the show and a natural progression of events. It's supposed to stop everything. Wait for a minute. Restart. Let's go for the next one. So I didn't mind that at, at all. 
it's one of the few ideas I liked on this show, the entire three hours. Uh, one of the other things which for you don't see as much as we probably should, I guess, for a three tag or a three team match like this. But the pairings of people that were not tag team partners pairing up and doing double team moves. I was like, that just shows a lot of familiarity between them to call a double team move like that in the ring against another opponent. These aren't guys that used to team up and like, oh, they're calling back to moves that they used to do years ago or anything. These aren't guys that really have, you know, a rich history other than we've worked for the same company for years. But I was real impressed with like, okay, you know, those two could have made a good tag team. You know, that was a good move for those two. These guys got chemistry. And I was just enjoying seeing some of the unique pairings in this match that, uh, to my knowledge, never paired up again. It was lots of fun. Uh, let's not forget, not only were Jindrak and O'Hare compared to an only Narn Anderson, but also a white Harlem Heat with Stevie Ray sitting right there as commentary. Uh, no. So, Kevin, I do want to bring up a point because you you brought up the fact that you like how it flowed and they would bring one segment out into another. Do you think that works well on a pay-per-view when you already have the paying audience is already paid for? They're not going anywhere, right? Um, or is that better suited for like a Nitro where you're going into commercial break, but you're flowing, that sort of thing? And we see it on Monday Night Raw now all the time. True. I, I think a flow like that for a TV show does make more sense in an episodic way. For pay-per-view, that could be a good way to differentiate it. Hey, it's a pay-per-view. We're going to have starts and stops. We're going to have a match, and there's going to be a finish, and then we're going to have the next one. But for like a Nitro to say, okay, we're going to start out with a match. These guys are going to wrestle. Something's going to happen. We're going to flow into a backstage segment. And then we're going to see this guy coming up for his match. Then they're going to run into this person, like a TV show does, where each scene leads into another. But that could be a good way to differentiate. This is how Nitro flows. This is how pay-per-view flows. But how many pay-per-views have we seen where it's like, really, that's how you're going to end the match? That's what I paid 30 bucks for? Yeah. So then we go into match number two on the night, which is for the hardcore title. It is none other than everyone's favorite AWOL taking on Reno. (laughs) This was a match. Mm -hmm. Um, My favorite part, guys is I didn't know that a computer monitor could oh, be on when there's oh no God. cords connected to anything. There's you nothing. Think that was, yeah, that was, that was a piece of plastic. It, was it looks like a Commodore. Yeah, it was a Commodore. That was just literally a gimmick piece Fair. of plastic with a sticker on it. So hot. I also, I also love when Tony Schiavone's like, Oh, that's a laptop. And Mark Madden's like, those are thick. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was uh it's a unique little bra and by unique I mean it is not a good hardcore match. No. I mean this is making me pray for Bob Holly versus uh <laughs> Al Snow. No, no. This unfortunately a lot of this show there is not much like memorable and not much that is considered passable by today's standards and uh Again, continues to show the direction that the company was in and not shocking why it ended up shutting its doors in about seven months. Continues to show putting rookies in positions they they weren't ready for. Who was a rookie here? Both of them. They seemed like they were in their 40s. I mean, I understand what you're saying by by rookie veteran in the ring. But uh, my, my favorite thing about this match, though, if you guys, if you take a look at it, obviously the computer monitor is great. But the stalling at the end to get to the ending is yeah. next level bad. I mean, it's just terrible. Yeah. A wall suddenly blown up after he's dragging the table out from under the ring. 
just so that he can push the table over and then get the finisher put on him. It's just crazy. Absolutely. So, Educator, why don't you go ahead and break down this hardcore title match? <sighs> okay. So we have Reno coming to the ring, um, and he ends up doing a bunch of kendo shots, and then he does a flapjack to AWOL through a table that Sergeant AWOL had ended up setting up in the ring during the end of his previous match. He ends up getting a two-count from referee Billy Silverman. Both guys start going outside the ring, and they're brawling all over the place. We see Reno again hitting AWOL with a bunch of kendo shots, uh, kendo stick shots, trash can shots. There's some really weak-looking offense from Reno with his trash can shots, not really making full contact with Sergeant AWOL and AWOL selling as if he's just been hit with a shotgun blast. It's crazy. We do see AWOL get a hold of a kendo stick and does a pretty violent shot with the kendo stick to AWOL. The kendo stick basically shatters into pieces. Uh, AWOL then does a press slam, uh, chest first, dropping Reno over the guardrail. We see two repeated spots where AWOL attempts to put a trash can over uh, Reno's head and upper torso. But just the how broad Reno's shoulders were, the trash can couldn't physically get squished down over his body. So really the trash can is just kind of being balanced on top of Reno's head. And uh, AWOL ends up punting the trash can like it's a football. He ends up doing the spot twice in a row. The first one got a really loud crowd pop. The second one, not so much. Uh, Eventually we end up getting to the point where Reno, uh, they're fighting on the ramp. Uh, heading back towards the entranceway, and Reno ends up hitting two low blows to AWOL and then ends up hitting his finisher, the roll of the dice, which is a a really decent-looking twisting uh, reverse neckbreaker on the ramp. The commentary is like, why isn't he going for the pin? Why is he not going for the pin? Instead, Reno ends up taking and setting up two tables, stacking one on top of each other next to the, uh, the ramp itself, and starts to set up a wall for a suplex for uh, into the menu, uh, the double tables, but a wall ends up uh, reversing atomic drop like side suplex and drops Reno through those double tables for a pretty decent spot. We see a bunch of backstage brawling. Uh, they're eventually over by the ramp. And it kind of shows like how sectioned off the building is for staging and how empty the building truly is. Um, I, I don't think it was really a good look for WCW to end up doing this particular camera angle. Backstage, we talked about it. There's a couple of uh, computers that are on a random table. AWOL picks up the monitor to one computer. It's so obviously gimmicked. It's a plastic monitor. That is it. And he throws it and whips it around uh, as if he's going to you know, take out Reno with it, but is unsuccessful in both attempts with the monitor. We see uh, the men brawling towards uh, the go position, which is WCW's version of the gorilla position where the backstage agents and producers are hanging out. And just randomly as they're brawling, AWOL decides to like sucker punch Fit Finley for some reason. No explanation why he did it or for whatever reason, but he just the announcers are like, he's crazy. He just hit Fit Finley, one of our agents. Eventually, the guys brawl back towards ringside. There's a bunch of garbage can spots, uh, random like metal pans that are smashed over AWOL's head. Eventually, AWOL uh, recovers back, throws Reno into the guardrail. He then, next to the ring, climbs underneath to pull out a table, and there is just a super slow progressional spot where they're setting up 
uh, for this table spot where Reno ends up knocking down AWOL, who seemed to wait for forever to Reno for Reno to knock him down. The table is now completely flat on the floor. Reno grabs AWOL, grabs his neck, does a second roll of the dice onto that flattened table on the floor and gets a one, two, three pinfall finish. So your winner by pinfall and retaining the hardcore championship is Reno. And post-match, we get another run-in from the Natural Born Thrillers, the perfect event team of Chuck Palumbo and Sean Stasiak. They do a run-in, and all three members now with Reno start triple-teaming AWOL. And then we hear the Misfits in Action MIA music, at least WWF's version, uh, played over, where Corporal Cajun and Lieutenant Loco run down and make the save. Guys, I'm not sure if you remember from watching the match, but... um... Who has to know something? No, no. Remember, Suck has got to know. Words of wisdom from our announced team tonight. This match, there was stuff that was fine in this match, but it just kept happening over and over and over again all night long. Chair spots, table spots, fights into the crowd, fights backstage, attacking an agent, all that stuff. And they just kept doing it over and over again. So nothing mattered by the end of the show. I just didn't even care for a, a lot of it. Um, was AWOL giving a, a too sweet to Stevie Ray or was he putting up Texas Longhorns or what? Because he kept doing something the whole time. I did a quick search. As far as I can tell, he didn't go to college and he's not from Texas. So I don't think it's Texas Longhorns. And Stevie Ray was NWO, but he was black and white, black, and whatever. AWOL was not. I'm like, what are you doing? You're just trying to make friends with him? The other thing is, so I started paying attention. They said he the, he threw him into the support lights. And I thought, what the heck are support lights? And there were some lights on the guardrail. I'm guessing for someone's entrance or, you know, to do a spot or whatever. But then we see the drunk blonde Vegas girl in the front row who gets in everyone's face for the rest of the evening. Very obvious wig she's wearing, by the way. Oh, my God. She is my fan of the night. And that's saying something for this show, too. <laughs> She is in everyone's face. I'm amazed she didn't get thrown out because she's there through the end of the show. And clearly inebriated from the start. Popcorn guy got thrown out, I'm sure. Popcorn guy got thrown out for sure. We'll talk about him him later. So after the match, we get a Shane Douglas talking to the natural brown throws. So this threw me off, guys. I know exactly where you're going. You too? (laughs) crazy because they don't tee it up as the as the no they don't as it happened earlier in the night so they just cut to it Uh and then the people that just ran out and were in a match are in just street clothes in street clothes backstage not blown up not injured we see shane douglas you know talking to mike sanders and the rest of the uh natural born thrillers and you're like, what in the world is going on with the space-time continuum here? We just saw three of these guys out in their ring gear, and now they're magically backstage. And then they decide, decide maybe three-quarters of the way through the segment, throw up the graphic in the lower left <laughs> corner. Today. Earlier today, it's like, oh, okay. Now well, that kind of explains things. There you go. Production's going really, really well for this show. It was fantastic. Um, and then we follow that up with Goldberg. Uh, does he have a concussion? Maybe not. And that is when we finally get introduced to our announced team of Tony Schiavone, Stevie Ray, and Mark Madden when they get that the shot at the announce table. Um, 
And then we get another segment where Chronic is worried about Goldberg. And then we get an impromptu match because why the hell not at this point? Um, so our impromptu match, of course, is the MIA, the Misfits in Action, taking on the perfect event. Of course, this was from the run-in that happened in the previous match. So I hope everyone's keeping up with this. It's it's tough. We keep hearing the same entrance music for the Natural Born Thrillers like five or six times through this whole night uh they're involved in like four matches it's just it's over the top insane and uh yeah we're cramped we're trying to cram this particular group down our throat and uh the rookies are just you know they're not really holding their own and i shouldn't say rookies too bad because sean stasiak i mean he, prior to this he had a run in the wwf and was trained uh, a little bit in stanford connecticut with dory funk's group and all that uh, but yeah, just let's throw another one on the card just to fill up the card. Hopefully we're not worrying about going too long this year. Also Stasiak second generation. He should just know better, but you see they have a huge botch later in the night where he and Palumbo are clearly lost, not where they're supposed to be out of position entirely. Uh, Lieutenant Loco still knew at least Corporal Cajun there has a family lineage as well. I kind of imagine he called this match. Yeah, absolutely. Um, also, too, guys. All right. So match number one, I thought the commentary was the worst thing. OK, match number two, that computer monitor was, was amazing. <laughs> uh, Palumbo's uh, sleeper hold here. Twice. Where his hands in front of the guy's face. Mm hmm. Yeah. Not good. And then co I think whoever was on commentary is like, oh, he doesn't have it cinched in. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it's just, Mark Madden. Uh, ah, it's but not I'm not the guy that breaks down the matches. The educator breaks down the matches. So, educator, why don't you break down this impromptu match? Oh, baby. So, all four men start in the ring. We start with a schmoz brawl until we end up having double drop kicks thrown that knock Palumbo and Stasiak out to the floor. Uh, when I, when they eventually gather their composure, got back into the ring, we see Palumbo and Stasiak trading back and forth with, with Lieutenant Loco, who is Chavo Guerrero Jr. The thing that stood out for me is like how ridiculously huge Palumbo and O'Hare are when standing next to Chavo in this match. It's just, it's crazy how much Palumbo and O'Hare are bumping for Chavo. I don't know if it's just respect for the Guerrero family and the lineage or just, you know, doing what they're trained to do. It's just, there's a lot of unrealistic work in this particular match that just didn't sit well with me. We see Lieutenant Loco with a belly to back suplex to uh, Palumbo and Corporal Cajun gets a quick tag and he leaps off the top rope to drop an elbow onto Palumbo. We see Corporal Cajun with a uh, top rope clothesline, or a second rope clothesline, I should say, onto Chuck Palumbo. There's teased distension between Stasiak and Palumbo as they're kind of arguing with each other when there was a tag and they were trying to set up for a double-team maneuver. Uh, eventually, they are successful in hitting a double-team flapjack onto Lieutenant Loco, dropping him belly first in the middle of the canvas. We see Sean Stasiak with a set-out powerbomb onto Lieutenant Loco. Corporal Cajun has to run in and do a breakup for the pin. Uh, when Palumbo tags back in, he ends up catching uh, Lieutenant Loco, who tried to do a crossbody off of running the ropes. He catches him for doing a fallaway slam. He does a cocky one-foot cover onto Lieutenant Loco's chest and only gets a one count. 
Corporal Cajun does try to does get in for a hot tag. He does a couple of quick clotheslines, but then when he starts to celebrate and uh, gain adulation from the crowd, he ends up getting hit from behind by Stasiak and gets dropped to the canvas. Palumbo and uh, Stasiak continue to tag in and out. Uh, we see Palumbo Irish whip Cajun into the ropes, and he does hit a sleeper hold on the Corporal Cajun. The referee Scott Armstrong does the two arm drops, and then we see the comeback. When Cajun does do a comeback and escapes the sleeper, he hits the ropes again, only to be caught for a second time by Palumbo for a second sleeper. And again, it was just a very weak-looking sleeper attempt by Chuck Palumbo. Cajun does eventually escape and hits the uh, a springboard face buster onto Chuck Palumbo. Uh, both men end up tagging out, so we got kind of hot tags for both Lieutenant Loco and uh, now Stasiak coming into the ring. We see drop kicks by Lieutenant Loco onto both opponents. Now all four men are brawling in the ring. Chuck Palumbo awkwardly times a super kick and misses his intended target and accidentally hits Sean Stasiak, uh, which causes him to rebound into Lieutenant Loco, who was sitting on the top turnbuckle and setting up and hits a tornado DDT on Sean Stasiak, and he gets the 1-2-3 victory. Your winners, MIA. I can't believe you got so much out of this because most of my notes are like, Mostly Palumbo, honestly, he screwed up this move. He screwed up this move. He screwed up this move. <laughs> Announcers putting over the sleeper, which is garbage. I tried to be as generous as I could. Why did I write chubby toes? I have no idea. Kevin, well, your Google searches are the don't bring them to the podcast, please. <laughs> yeah, we don't. We ain't nobody got time for that. Man. Yeah, we know whatever tube sites you go to. Was Mark Man saying Chubito? And the chubby toes or something like that. I don't know. That's my best guess for why I wrote it down. It's God, they're trying so hard to put them over and they're just not there. I, I like you have talent. You have a wealth of talent you could be using here. You got like a hundred guys under contract that are sitting at home, but we're pushing this one group here that is just flat out not ready for TV. Does this make you appreciate Palumbo's work in WWF more? With how much better he got with with Billy Gunn, with, you know, Billy and Chuck. He's much better in that team, for what I remember, than here. Yeah, absolutely. I I don't, his post time with that, with the uh, the Italian group, I'm drawing a blank right now. Uh, FBI, with Little Guido. Yeah, FBI, the Mama, or the, yeah, with Little Guido, the Mama Lukes, and the FBI. I don't remember that being as uh, really a lot of full of highlights that I remember or anything that stands out. But the time with Billy and Chuck, and maybe it was just because of the the implied stereotype stereotypical characters that they were portraying at the time. Yeah, so I yeah I think his work rate was a lot better in that tag team with Billy Gunn. Yeah, it's just kind of fun. We always talk about the evolution of people on the card, so to see him be so green here, and then I don't remember him being that bad. In the WWF, so or WWE at the time, I guess. Um, so we follow that up with Conan backstage. And guys, what is it about Halloween Havoc where we had the match of Sting versus Sid to see who the franchise is? Correct? Am I wrong here? You you were not we, wrong. We we had that. Yes. Okay. So then, why is Shane Douglas known as the franchise now? He owns he's... a lot of Wendy's. He does, or or is it he were, owns a lot of targets? I'm not sure. <laughs> I was waiting. As soon as I said that, I was like, ah, oh, there's a better joke there. So, my question to you guys is: Tori Wilson as Wonder Woman here. 
Oh. Oh, baby. Is she the most beautiful woman in wrestling ever? Uh, she's got the Benjamin Button syndrome because... She looks better now. She looks yeah. amazing now. It's crazy. Now that this is bad. No, oh. not at all. That's what I mean, it, though. It, like, and very natural, too. It, yeah, but it, it's like when you eat an amazing meal in your hometown and it's the best meal you've ever had and then you go elsewhere and you eat an even better meal you're like oh i just had the best for what i had at the time right <laughs> what wait what <laughs> like you think she's fantastic here and then you see her now and you're like i already thought i saw you at your peak and now i know there was even higher to go but it's the same meal so let me get this straight so you ate a mcrib <laughs> in watertown nor will i You've never eaten a McRib? No. What is wrong with you, sir? How have you never eaten a McRib out of everyone? You've eaten a KFC Double Down, but not a McRib. I've eaten a KFC Double Down. Treats ate in my living room. I ate the KFC Double Down in his living room. Chicken and cheese in my trash. I ate the KFC Double Down and he watched. (laughs) Oh, he watched it all. Eat it it slower. As long as their eyes don't meet, Kevin. As long as the eyes don't meet. No, but I'm trying to get this analogy you just said. So if I eat a meal in my hometown, say a filet mignon, and then I go to New York City to get a filet mignon, but it's the same. I'm confused. See, I was going with pizza. Okay. The best pizza in your hometown you think is the best pizza in the world. You see Tori Wilson here and you think that's the best Tori Wilson. But then you go somewhere else years later. And you go, oh my gosh, I thought I had the best pizza, but it turns out this is the best pizza. So but, you're like, oh, I thought this was the best Tori Wilson, but years later, I'm proven, proven otherwise. Oh, so like, like, oh, okay, you've had good Tori Wilson, but the, the Italians perfected the Tori Wilson recipe? Is that what it is? Is Tori Wilson a recipe here? <laughs> a dish, at least. Yeah. A she, snack. What is she, chicken cacciatore? What is it? <laughs> All right, so it's franchise Shane Douglas and Tori Wilson taking on Tigress and Conan. Um, I don't even know where to begin with this one. I just want to. I want to ask a question. I okay. just want to make sure that we're all on the same page. I really think when you and your people are too stupid to know when you've been beaten down, when to stay down. Do you know what I mean by your people? Oh, jeez. Shane Douglas got on a little bit of a rant that Stevie Ray picked on. What do you mean by your people? Not good, Shane Douglas. Not good at all. Oh, man. Yeah, Shane Douglas, you're not an ECW. You can't. Boy, they're trying, though. You can't let that slip. I mean, that's certainly got Russo's fingerprints all over that, but crazy. Okay, so we have a mixed tag match, correct? Yeah. Can can one of you remind me the general rules of a mixed tag match? I don't think it was a mixed tag match. I think it was just an intergender match. Oh, so when Shane Douglas punches Tigers in the face, that's completely illegal. All right, guys. I um, my favorite part of this match is Mark Madden is call, (laughs) his stuff in the face call. Mm -hmm. Face full of stuff. Face full of stuff. That's stuff buster. I want you both to do your best dramatic reading of Facebook stuff for the podcast. I got nothing. Okay. <laughs> you got no I, face I, or I, got no stuff? I, I, I do believe I have I have exceeded my limit of dramatic readings with the, well, the that total was, package. That, that was sexily reading. That's different. <laughs> face 
full of stuff. It was bad. It was this. Can we just skip this match in all honesty? No, we can't. We got to go through it. We skipped one last week. We did. And, you know, the educators prepared. I kind of wish I made this match for Kevin. I mean, we did the general erection one. There's just so many matches in it. (laughs) I kind of wish just educator. I wish Kevin just took all of the notes for this. No offense. I hear you. Oh, yeah. It would have made. I got him. It would have made my my watching more appreciative yeah. of, of you know the what, show. Though, if I want to see those notes, Kevin, is there a website or a place I can go to see those notes? Uh, in addition to your local bathroom wall stalls, yes, you can see them for patreon.com slash mass library. That once again is patreon.com slash master library. All right, educator, why don't you break down this intergender match? So we got Shane Douglas and Tori Wilson in the ring. Tori Wilson bringing the extra hot in her Wonder Woman gear. I wish she didn't have like three or four inch heels on so she could be a little bit more mobile. But you know what? She she still accomplished what she needed to do. Tigers comes down to the ring by herself as apparently Conan is suggesting that he's not going to be able to be in the match due to the injury. Tigers gets on the mic, says she's here. She's ready to fight. She ends up starting the match by kicking Douglas in the groin. She ends up brawling a little bit with Tori Wilson. She sends her into the corner. Tori Wilson sets her up for the Bronco Buster, but Shane Douglas yanks down Tigers by the hair before she's able to take off and try to hit the maneuver. Conan finally does a run into the ring, and he gets involved in the match. He ends up, Shane Douglas and Tori Wilson do a double Irish whip to try to clothesline Conan. Conan rolls through and ends up doing a double clothesline to both Tori and Shane Douglas. Uh, Tigers and Conan end up taking both of their opponents down to the floor. They're kind of brawling back and forth, doing what limited spots they can for the ladies. Eventually, back in the ring, we see Tigers come off the top rope for an axe handle and an arm twist onto Shane Douglas. Tigers does three arm twists to Shane Douglas, and then Shane Douglas just sucker punches her in the face to knock her down because, you know, it's an intergender match, so why not? Tori Wilson is tagged in. Uh, and charges Tigress in the corner, and Tigress ends up lifting up her boot to kick her in the gut, and then Tigress hits the X-Factor like Bronco or Face Buster to Tori Wilson and gets a two-count from referee Charles Robbins. Robinson. Uh, Tori Wilson tags back Shane in. Shane Douglas actually sits on Tigress's back and does the equivalent of the Steiner recliner or camel clutch for a moment. Eventually, Tigress is able to escape, uh, Shane Douglas ends up doing a form of a crossface chicken wing onto Tigress. Tigress is able to slip out and roll around the ring, and she does make a tag to Conan. Conan comes in, does a back body drop, does a snap nair takeover to Shane Douglas, and as Douglas is seated in the middle of the ring, uh, Conan hits a seated drop kick. Tori Wilson has to come in and do an eye gouge to make the save for the pinfall count. Tigress ends up hitting the Bronco Buster onto Tori Wilson, but Tori Wilson had pulled Charles Robinson in the way. So really, Tigress had Bronco Buster Charles Robinson so that, you know, Robinson got a face full of stuff. Uh, Continue schmas back and forth. We see Douglas clotheslining K-Dog over the top rope. Tori Wilson, then as K-Dog got back into the ring, uh, was able to hit the franchiser jawbreaker finisher onto Conan and got like a long two count and it had to be broken up by Tigress, which I don't understand the rationale of that whatsoever. 
Uh, right after that pinfall attempt by Tory Wilson, Conan gets up, calls for Tigers to help we'll do a double Irish whip to Shane Douglas. They kick Douglas both in the gut, and they do the double X factor, uh, face buster, and Conan pins Shane Douglas one, two, three for the pinfall. Tigers and Tory should not have been put in these positions. They've not should not have been expected to wrestle as much of the match. Certain moves should not have happened. They should not have been left on their own in the ring at times. That said, Tigers absolutely bust her ass in this match. She tried her best. You got to give her credit for like, I I am sure that is the absolute best she could do with the limited training she had. And for where she was, she did well. Tori Wilson tries. I was shocked by that franchiser move. I was like, oh, okay, good on you. And then getting the two. Um, the liberties taken on the women here were just, geez, just cringy and, and felt bad and everything. And I was just feeling like someone, Russo, is a misogynist to put them through this. Felt bad for them. But, you know, it leads to a Hall of Fame career. Conan's not in WWE Hall of Fame. Shane Douglas isn't. Their story, Wilson. It's for matches like this. It's a whole thing. <laughs> Just the, the whole thing. On your face. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for it. Yeah, that Hall of Famer, Tori Wilson, joining the Hall of the Fame Bella Twins. The thought of them coming back makes me want to just cancel my subscription to the WWE Network. Are they coming? It back? Really does. There's there's talk about them getting back in the ring. Oh yeah. Really. That's hmm. what the ratings yeah. need. That's, yeah. I just don't see it happening. Well, they they've been sent to train again along with Keith Lee. It's Keith Lee, the Bella Twins, and Ronda Rousey training at the Performance Center. Pretty much. Poor Keith Lee. All right, so we follow that up with Mean Gene talking to David Flair, and uh, David Flair's got lab tests in his hand. <laughs> I mean, I'm not making this up, guys. This actually happened. Yeah. David Flair's wrestling career, did he, even, did he want to be a wrestler at all? I mean, was he always played up as a joke? I... It's hard to say. I mean, at the beginning when he first came in before the whole big swerve with Russo and him turning heel on his father, it just seemed like they were trying to cram him down our throats, similar to how Bill Watts did with Eric Watts. Um, I, I don't know whether or not it was really a true passion. I know the younger brother, Reed, was you know, big into amateur wrestling and he did, he was professionally trained and he was working shots on indies and I believe in Japan. Uh, but for David, I just, he had his run here. He had a call up. He was brought in for, a, you know, a cup of tea basically uh, in WWF um, involved in that angle with Undertaker Flair at WrestleMania what, 18 briefly to set up that feud. But after that, no. I kind of feel like he, they brought him in. He kind of accepted and everyone else kind of accepted. You're not going to be your dad. Here's your limit. But he liked being in that role. He's kind of a comedy wrestler. He's kind of, you know, the guy that gets beat up, but he had, he had numerous entertaining storylines and segments and goofiness and all. He wasn't a great wrestler, but I think he fell into the role that he ended up in pretty well and did well at it. Putting him in the tag team with crowbar. Daphne too. Ta- with Daphne certainly kind of hid some of his uh, deficiencies uh, as a, as a full talent and uh, allowed 
the other two to try to mask what he was lacking. Plus, he got to date Stacy Keebler out of it. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a win. Rate. That's a Hall of Fame right there. <laughs> All right, so why don't we go to to match number five on the night? It's Buff Bagwell taking on David Flair, and it wouldn't be a Halloween Havoc if we didn't either have Buff Bagwell or Lex Luger turn here because it's happened like in four straight pay per views, <laughs> and we got to follow it up with this one. Oh God! All right, so this is like a nothing. Am I crazy? Is this a nothing match? And no, and you're not crazy. It's an absolute nothing match. It is meant for Ma, uh, to bu- for Buff to basically mock David Flair. It is David Flair to do goofy comedy uh, stunts to you know have him portray that he is the son of his old man. And then there's the random uh, heel turn at the end with uh, with Lex Luger. So yeah, it's a nothing match. All right, educator. Well, let's see if you can turn nothing into something. Oh, I thought that was his breakdown. <laughs> That's about what it deserves. Is that it? Are we done? No, we're not done. Oh. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna take some chicken shit and turn it into chicken salad. All right. So we see Buff at the start of the match flipping off David Flair in the middle of the ring. Buff with a scoop slam and a clothesline to David Flair. Uh, we see a kick in the gut and a swinging neck breaker by Buff to David Flair. David Flair tries to get some offense in. He attempts to do a sunset flip only for Buff to basically hold his his balance, do a quick pose, and then just punch David Flair in the head uh, to escape that cradle attempt. We see a corner Irish flip by Buff Bagwell to David Flair. Uh, David Flair does his father's spot, the flip-flop flousy over the top rope, over headfirst over the top rope. He ends up landing on the apron just like his father would. And then he ends up climbing up to the top rope as if he's going to be successful with a dive only for Buff Bagwell to catch him and do a press slam off of the top rope into the ring. Buff Bagwell then corners David Flair and does a mounted 10 punch corner or 10 uh, mounted punches in the corner for the crowd to count one, two, three to 10. And then when he drops down, David Flair ends up flopping around and kind of strutting like his father would. And then he ends up doing a face plant as a result of the uh, punishment from the 10 punches. We see Dave, uh, Rick, or, uh, Buff Bagwell rip off David Flair's shirt and causes him to do a pose for crowd laughter. But Flair ends up doing a mule kick very similar to his father would to kind of knock Buff Bagwell off uh, off his feet to the floor. Uh, we see Flair sending Buff out to the floor. He tries to ram Buff Bagwell's head into the steps. Bagwell ends up blocking it. Flair ends up uh, doing a body slam instead to Buff Bagwell on the floor. He peels back some of the protective floor mats. He sets up to do a pile driver to Buff Bagwell on the floor. But Buff Bagwell ends up just doing basically a back body drop to David Flair onto the floor. David ends up recovering, ends up picking up a chair and tries to do a chair shot, swinging the chair to Buff, whose back was against the corner post. But Buff moves out of the ring or moves out of the way so that David Flair ends up smacking the ring post with the chair. Uh, David Flair ends up tossing the chair into the ring, and he uh, Buff Bagwell is actually able to intercept the chair. He picks up the chair and hits David Flair in the head over the top rope um, onto the floor. And then immediately there, I'm like, well, wait a minute. Why isn't this a disqualification? And then I process the whole idea that this is a DNA match, which... I guess meant that it was a first blood match. So anything is, is well 
uh, is fair game. So David Flair is busted open on the floor. Uh, the referee goes to check him. He doesn't see any blood yet. But then commentary does allude to the fact that David Flair is busted open. He ends up crawling back into the ring, but Buff had then sat up on the second turnbuckle. Buff Bagwell ends up hitting his Buff Blockbuster, you know, jumping, leaping neck breaker onto David Flair, who staggered back into the ring after the chair shot. Referee sees the blood from the previous chair shot and immediately calls for the bell. And your winner for the match is Buff Bagwell. Post-match, Lex Luger comes into the ring, all excited, wants to give Buff Bagwell some adulation. He fakes celebrating, hugging with Buff, only to stiff-arm clothesline Buff Bagwell, throw him out into the floor, and to ram his head into the post. And that particular post shot smashed his mouth into the post, and he's bleeding from, like, the mouth and upper lip. And now all excited, David Flair, who has recovered, goes and gets his uh, DNA testing kit that he left on the commentary table, swipes a sample of blood. And now he himself is covered in blood from his chair shot, but he swipes a sample of blood from uh, Buff Bagwell. And then he goes backstage and hands it to his doctor, stumbling all over the place, covering his own blood, hands the, the blood sample, supposedly, of Buff Bagwell, which is probably mixed with his own blood so that they can continue the storyline the following night on Nitro. Thank you, because that's exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, the storyline's going to be, oh, it's buffs, and then we're going to proceed that way, and then we're going to realize the blood samples got mixed up because David's bleeding a ton too, and it's going to turn out to be David's. But is there anything worse that never goes well than a pregnancy angle in wrestling? Because you've got to find your way out of it somehow. Do, do you remember how they ended up finishing the pregnancy angle? Oh, uh, I mean, Cherry, was that? The, no, that or was it? No, there was a miscarriage angle, too. When uh, Stacey Keebler and Miss Hancock had or uh, Major Guns had a match. But I don't think right. I think there was a different pregnancy storyline with the same woman in a year. Pretty. <laughs> Uh, she ends up revealing the baby and she's cradling the baby and it's pictures of uh, Sean Stasiak and she ends up becoming the manager of Sean Stasiak at the very end of WCW. Yes. And the final feud was Sean Stasiak with Bam Bam Bigelow with a tattoo match. Everything about that is awful. Everything about that. Yeah. What is that worse than... May Young giving birth to Don Callis. Oh no, he's the invisible hand, not the. Oh, not the, not, not, the, the real. not the real hand. Not, not the goopy hand. Uh, the match does have the call of the night, though. How many times is Lex Luger going to turn on people in WCW? <laughs> I lost it. I'm still laughing at that line. That was the best line of the show. It just goes to show you too that the total package is gone now. Well, he lives on in our hearts. Like, I liked the way... (laughs) Do you have a heart on for him? I liked the way that, you know, they they packaged the total package last year, and now it's gone. Hmm. So if you think about it, Kevin, because I know in 1999 we talked about things that we liked because they were throwing a bunch of things against the wall, and did they keep any of that? No. It doesn't look like it, no. I know, I did like David Flair backstage hitting the blood sample over, and then the camera picks up Goldberg has arrived in the arena, and you follow that. I, I, uh, like I said earlier in the show, I do like that continuing motion of things happening at the show. And then I think that's the last time it happens tonight. <laughs> yeah, so they pick up Goldberg. 
Um, and then they go into a Scott Steiner interview. Um, mm-hmm. So I had a question for you guys because I was trying to think of obviously Scott Steiner became a main event draw for them towards the yeah. end of WCW. Did you guys ever consider Scott Steiner a main eventer? Until this change, never. No. no, I mean, even after this change, did you? I, yeah. I still don't consider him a main event guy. I don't either. I, I mid, mean, we'll... mid card, like U.S. Intercontinental title guy, not world title guy. Nope. I, we'll get into it, but I was digging this unhinged gimmick of his. He could snap anytime. He could attack someone anytime. He could say something horrible on the mic to get him thrown off there. I was digging it. I thought that was a great character. So you were digging him being Ken Shamrock. Digging him being I, a cross of Ken Shamrock, Steve Austin. Uh, there's there's just an but there's an a-hole point to it too. To me, it was to me when once he seemed to get too big, it felt like his in-ring work suffered from it. Because he was so agile and athletic when he was in the tag team and even coming up. But then once the the bodybuilding overtook everything and his look overtook everything to me it was always like he traded the look for that extra athleticism that really set him apart in ring i would take 1989 to 92 scott steiner tagging with his brother in a new japan match any day of the week compared to this singles run that he had post nwo ah <sighs> But see, the tag person doesn't have Medasia or a tiger. With with Doc Antlers or Doc what's what's his name? Doc uh from uh from Tiger King. I've never watched Tiger King. Oh, oh you don't oh so you didn't hear about this? So okay, this is a little tiger. Oh, I'm I'm aware of the show, but Yeah, I can't say I've ever wasted my effort on Tiger King either. Okay. So of course Tiger King, Joe Exotic, you guys know the story about how he runs his own exotic zoo and stuff like that. During the documentary, they interview a guy who's got like a tiger cult, okay, where he lures in women. His name's Doc Antle, uh, lures women in and seduces them, and then they become like his sex slaves and stuff. He's the guy that walks out Scott Steiner with the tiger. Like they show a video of him walking out Scott Steiner during Tiger King. All right. (laughs) Yeah, now you're going to watch it. Uh, Tiger King, a fascinating documentary, if you have not seen it. Garbage television, but garbage television at its best. Back to Halloween Havoc. Same. Speaking (laughs) of garbage television. Okay, yeah, I was just curious, because I never considered Scott Steiner to be a main eventer. He never clicked in my head. And then him coming into... I remember him coming into WWE and everyone like, oh, Scott Steiner's there. That was great. And then they just buried Mm -hmm. him because... But I didn't think he was as good as Triple H. Like the, The Rumble match buried himself. Uh, I'm True. sorry. I he had all the hype. He had the train behind him. His in ring work, and c- could it be a little bit because of Triple Hunter? You know, not wanting him to get over. Very well could be, but he didn't do himself any favors by stumbling and botching a bunch of stuff in that match. This this pay per view, the the one thing that it did make me want to do. You know, the, these pay per views make you want to go back and watch certain things. Uh, two matches I do want to see. I do really want to watch that Scott Steiner Triple H match again. Uh, the other match I really want to watch is that Booker T Buff Bagwell and a Raw to see if it yeah. is as bad as as it as it was or if the crowd was just crapping on it because it was WCW and not a WWF product. But why don't we go into match number six on the card, which is above average Mike Sanders taking on Ernest the Cat Miller. 
in what is a boxing match, mixed martial arts kickboxing match, match, kickboxing, kickboxing. Match. okay, uh, in a kickboxing match. What the hell's going on here? I I don't understand how they get to the end with the franchise Shane Douglas coming out. He's babysitting natural born thrillers because Kevin Nash couldn't be there, and we know Kevin Nash and Shane Douglas go way back and have been longtime friends. So he's he's the leader by proxy. Well, thank you for clearing that up, Kevin. Mm-hmm. Um, did you, what did you guys think of above average Mike Sanders? Um, uh, average Mike Sanders, nothing really good on the mic. Honestly, that's about it. it. Um, you know, I was not impressed with his, I mean, granted I'm, I'm looking at just this particular kickboxing match and you know, I remember his run at the end and the close of WCW, but, um, there's obviously a reason why he he wasn't picked up when the when the place shut down and wasn't you know featured on television. I think maybe he he was brought in or was considered to be brought in. Maybe he was sent down to HWA uh, for more training and whatnot. But there's a reason why we never really heard from him after his run here. Put him as the talker for the thrillers because none of them can really talk, and that should have been it for him. All right. So why don't you why don't you go ahead and break down this kickboxing masterpiece? <sighs> masterpiece huh? i'll tell you after watching this boy was i ever clamoring for a mark marrow butterbean boxing match again or i'd rather watch that um the only thing that was good about this match was the eye candy that miss jones was so we have supposedly three two minute rounds and the only way to win this match according to the commentators was by knockout do you gentlemen remember this match winning or finishing by a knockout it was when uh, Mike Sanders had a lightning kick, if I remember oh. Mark Madden's call. Oh, a lightning kick. That's right. Okay, so the very first round, we see the cat with a bunch of uh, jabs and a kick to the face to Mike Sanders. It knocks him down. Referee takes forever to do a count, but we end up getting a nine count and Sanders getting back up to his feet. We see the cat following up with a few more jabs in the corner, and he does a leg sweep to take Sanders down again. And we get another nine count uh, for Sanders, and he does make it back up. They continue for the next 10 to 12 seconds, and the ring bell rings. In the corner, we see the natural-born thrillers trying to provide encouragement for Mike Sanders, feeding him some water for him to spit in the bucket, uh, trying to get everything up and going to get him all fired up for the next round. In the second round, again, we see lots of jabs and kicks by uh, the cat, Ernest Miller, We see another leg sweep that takes Mike Sanders down and knocked him down pretty hard. Uh, We get another standing nine count. Sanders is knocked down again by the cat after a juke and jive punch where he ends up doing a split in the ring and then punches upward, uh, knocks uh, Sanders down again, and we get a forever to be counted nine count, and the bell eventually rings. During uh, that particular knockdown, we see Palumbo and Stasiak outside of the ring. They're arguing back and forth about whether or not they're going to throw in the towel and call off the match. And then suddenly we see Shane Douglas at ringside trying to get everybody to cool down and talk encouragement to Mike Sanders. In the third round, uh, the, the round starts, but the referee is not in the ring. He's out on the floor trying to separate Stasiak and Palumbo. And, and Shane Douglas, who's also trying to separate Stasiak and Palumbo. We see the Ernest the Cat Miller hit a pretty cool-looking cartwheel kick to knock uh, Sanders down. 
Uh, Sanders is cowering in the corner once he eventually gets back up after the standing eight or nine count. And uh, we see the cat doing lots of jabs in the corner. Chuck Palumbo jumps on the apron to distract the referee. Shane Douglas also jumps on the apron. He wraps a chain around his fist and he knocks down uh, Ernest the Cat Miller uh, for a count. When uh, Ernest Miller eventually gets up, he gets out of the ring, and now the the bell has rung for the end of the two-minute session, but now the match is continuing after that third round, and Ernest Miller is brawling with Shane Douglas outside of the ring. Uh, Sanders eventually gets up, and the referee has been counting Ernest the Cat Miller being out of the ring because he's brawling with Shane Douglas. So this was a kickboxing match of three two-minute rounds. There's apparently no disqualification because Shane Douglas is brawling with Ernest the Cat Miller in front of the ref, but he's counting out Ernest the Cat Miller. And for whatever reason, the match finishes with Mike Sanders winning by countout and is now the commissioner of WCW. What in the hell? Horse watch. I have no idea. It, it, it's so bad. It's a very bad match. It's the God, this whole show. <laughs> I think I know our end of the episode discussions and how they're going to go. Uh, Plumbo and Stasiak. This is one where they absolutely missed the spot and, and Shane's directing them. And Ernest Miller's even in the ring. Like, where are you guys? Like, just looking around like, hey, we got a moment coming up here. Get going. Get in position. Honestly, uh, educators saying the best part of the match is Miss Jones, the ring card girl. She got a bigger reaction both times she came out than anyone else involved in this match. Yeah, guys, we're about halfway through the card, so <laughs> there's a lot more to go. Uh, but I think let's just take a quick little commercial break, reset our brains. Hopefully, uh, some good stuff will happen after the break. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Are you sick of listening to the same old boring wrestling podcasts? Are you sick of the In Your House series or the Halloween Havoc series? Well, the Haunted House Show turns into the Gingerbread House Show for a special Christmas episode. Dropping on Christmas Eve on the Retro Network podcast feed and the House Show podcast feed. So join Maddie Treats, the educator of excellence, and the masked library Kevin Hellions as they dive headfirst into covering the holiday classic, Santa with Muscles. Hawk Hogan stars as Blake Thorne, a conceited self-made millionaire who sells bodybuilding supplements and equipment that has his picture on them. One day, while recklessly playing paintball, he is targeted by the police. He is chased to a shopping mall where he hides by putting on a Santa costume. He slides down a garbage chute to try to escape, but he bangs his head resulting in amnesia and he starts to begin to think he is the real Santa Claus. And you know what happens after that? Hijinks. Hijinks is what happens. So join the trio's tag team champions of the world as they start a new holiday tradition. So pour some eggnog, Turn on the Yule Log, and let's watch Santa with Muscles. Coming December 24th to the Retro Network. 
right, we are back, and we see Goldberg backstage. Then we have another Chronic, uh, you know, video or something. I don't know what's going on anymore with these backstage segments. Uh, but then we get that '70s guy, Mike Awesome, taking on Vampiro. What do you guys think of this one? I have questions. Yeah. Before we start the match, I've had questions all night. Like, why do we still do this podcast? This particular match, can can someone go over what the rules, the parameters were for this match? Uh, what, making it up as we go along, match. So it's a singles match. It says on there's no stipulations on Wikipedia. There's no stipulations, so it, it it's just suddenly became a no DQ match. Mm-hmm. False it count also, anywhere. It also came, became a false count anywhere mm-hmm. for some reason. Middle of the match. What the hell is going on? What well, are we watching? Well, you don't know, but halfway through the match, a little sign in the corner came up that said earlier tonight. So <laughs> <laughs> earlier tonight. Yeah, it was uh, something. My favorite part, though, of course, has to be the fan <laughs> that gets involved. The popcorn fan, baby. <laughs> so everyone piling on him. Did you like the that 70s guy gimmick? What is the gimmick? I... If, uh, he has fair faucet hair, and that's the gimmick. Yeah, that's is it, did it. he steal Lex Luger's hair? <laughs> oh, no. Certainly didn't steal mine. <laughs> it's what got me is like ECW. Mike Awesome comes in as this giant, and he's just such a beast, and that's how we see him. Then Vampiro is like not that much smaller than him, right? And I just never thought of Vampiro as that big too. And Awesome, I mean, he physically like he looked good. He looked jacked. Mm-hmm. He had abs. Looks like, great. why were they not doing more with him? And why were they saddling him with this stupid gimmick? I just, I don't understand it. This is a match of one move. It's a good move. <laughs> it's a match of one the move. Fin- yeah, the finish. Yeah. Yeah, that power bomb is insane. So why don't we go ahead and, uh, educator, break down popcorn guy. Oh, oh <laughs> baby. So we see Mike Awesome with a shoulder tackle that sends Vampiro out to the floor to start the match. We see Awesome with a running leap and uh, dive over the top rope to tackle Vampiro. And we start to brawl near the aisleway and over by the guardrail. We see Awesome throw Vampiro over the guardrail into the crowd. And uh, when he tosses Vampiro over the guardrail in the crowd, he ends up plowing into one of the security guards, a female who had her back to the crowd or back to the ring side area as she was more facing the crowd that she's supposedly screening. We see Awesome with a uh, Mike Awesome with a cool springboard from the floor to the rail, and then he does a diving clothesline from the rail towards Vampiro into the crowd. We see brawling going all over the place. Uh, we're starting to head up a set of stairs going into the lower bowl. Vampiro ends up finding a random microphone stand uh, that he reaches for, and he picks it up and he hits Mike Awesome with it. Vampiro then looks towards the crowd and he ends up finding an old man's cane that he picks up and swings it a couple of times uh, uh, onto uh, Mike Awesome. And then we see a random fan who apparently had a little bit too much to drink and it was a little too fired up throw a box of popcorn and smashes a box of popcorn over the head of Mike Awesome and then proceeds to dive on him to do like what appears to be a diving headbutt uh, to Mike Awesome who immediately realizes what's going on. He begins to attack the fan. Mike Awesome does. And then we see both Vampiro and a whole bunch of security just dive on top of the fan. And uh, yeah, I'm sure that fan had an interesting 20 minutes after that particular incident. Uh, The guy uh, Awesome and Vampiro continue to brawl back towards the ringside area. 
We see uh, back into the ringside area, Vampiro do a diving clothesline off of the announce booth's table to Mike Awesome. Vampiro throws two chairs into the ring, um, specifically sends one to Mike Awesome. He carries his own into the ring with him, and we end up having a dueling chair contest where they're swinging back and forth at each other. Eventually, Vampiro wins by knocking the chair out of Awesome's hands. And then Vampiro does a weak attempt at a Van Daminator by tossing his chair to Mike Awesome and does like a roundhouse-like kick or kick kick to the chair and end up being a weak chair shot to Mike Awesome. Vampiro does an Irish whip to Awesome uh, into the corner, and Vampiro gets kicked in the gut by Awesome, who is rebounding. Awesome ends up climbing the top rope, uh, and Vampiro ends up botching what appears to be an over-the-head belly-to-belly suplex or throw. Um, the camera angle made it look really, really weird how they shot it, but uh, Mike Awesome could have been substantially injured by this throw from the top rope to the canvas. Vampiro does go for a two-count, gets a long two-count from referee Billy Silverman. Vampiro does climb to the top rope, and it appears that Vampiro was doing a seated senton to Mike Awesome, but I believe the intent was Mike Awesome was supposed to catch him and do a sit-out powerbomb from that. Uh, but the momentum of Vampiro carries him too far, and really they both crash and burn, but Mike Awesome does kind of sell it like he was able to do the powerbomb as he does attempt for a two-count but only gets a pinfall attempt but only gets a two-count. Mike Awesome then brings a table into the ring and proceeds to throw the table at Vampiro and hits him with the table right in front of the referee. Not sure why there wasn't a DQ called, but apparently it's a no disqualification match. Vampiro is successful in hitting his finisher, the nail in the coffin. It's basically a Michinoku driver uh, sit out slam goes for a pinfall, but no, he decides to go out of the ring climb all around and proceed to get down on the floor and look under the ring for something. He goes around all four edges of the ring, looking for something to bring into the ring, does not find whatever it is that he's looking for. I don't know if this was an improvised spot, but Mike Awesome follows him out towards the commentary table, kicks him in the gut, and does a sit-out powerbomb onto the floor and goes for a pin count, and the referee counts it down for a two count. So now apparently not only is it no DQ, but it's also false count anywhere. We go back into the ring. Mike Awesome climbs up to the top rope, but ends up getting crotched down. Vampiro follows him up, but Mike Awesome is able to catch Vampiro. He ends up picking up Vampiro for a off-the-top rope super bomb, power bomb, into the ring, and a big one, two, three pinfall victory. Mike Awesome retains his title shot for the next night on Monday Nitro with his pinfall victory over Vampiro. Uh, so far, I would say that powerbomb is the only thing people need to seek out and watch from the show. So it's just impressive as hell. Absolutely disgusting. Uh, when they show Vampiro later on, just kind of getting his head right. I was shocked he was doing that well, honestly. Very curious what was under the ring what were they looking for was it just a random weapon or was it supposed to be the ending of the match and it definitely looked like the referee was uh whispering something to them too like okay you couldn't find the weapon for whatever that spot was so here's the new plan going forward it's also like 
it's two guys that I feel like just deserve better. Like you're saying, Mike Awesome looks very good here. Um, not a great promo guy. Give him a manager. It's easy. And Vampiro, I was actually always a fan of. I know, you know, sometimes he and later on he became his own biggest fan. But I really dug Vampiro in WCW. And I thought he could have been something so much more. Uh, it just this night's cursed (laughs) this night is absolutely cursed this could have been a very fun match and along with everything else tonight it just isn't yeah it's not very good all right guys so educator let's talk here Uh uh-oh are we talking about the interview that's next so we're coming up to an interview here so this is breaking breaking the fourth wall here yeah we, we we have an interview with gene okerlund and hugh morris of mia General, General Rection. General Rection. General Rection. Now, on last week's episode, Educator, we said that Kevin was going to break down this match. Should we let him break down the interview? Just give him the whole segment. I mean, this is the last one of the series. Should we do yeah. it? Yeah. Let's. What do you got, Educator? Right, we'll so hang on, have. hang on. <clears throat> Can you hot tag me in? I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. All right. You ready? You ready, Kevin? Sure. You, you ready to get the hot tag from me, buddy? Yep. Hot tag to Kevin. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen. It is now time for your Halloween Havoc breakdown with Kevin Hellions. All right, listeners. Usually for this segment, these two surprise me with what match will be mine to call for the show. I take notes as I'm watching the show. Usually I do not know what match I will be calling ahead of time, so I just take my notes as it is for any other match and get surprised. However, last week these two decided this is my match to call for the evening. So I made sure to pay attention. I actually took a break right before this match, refreshed my eyes, walked away from the screen for a little bit, came back all refreshed and wanted my A-game for it. Didn't know the interview segment was going to be part of it, so interview Mean Gene interviews Misfits in Action, interviewing General Rection, General Huge Erection for his next match. General Rection keeps saying, I came back. I came back. I came back. I'd like to point out the last year he was in a tag team that we dubbed Hugh Knobs, and I am not sure what he came back from. He came back for the C-team players, baby. I honestly thought he said the C-T players, and it was a concussion reference. Okay. He's, he's, here. We, he's here for WCW Saturday night and main event. What about pro? Those tapings at World for Worldwide are going to tape themselves. <laughs> so then just point out, then we see uh, the medical team assisting Vampiro to leave the ring, and then the winners of the WCW MasterCard contest. All right, so now we have Team Canada. Lance Storm, the Canada slash United States champion. Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who looks sick. Major Guns, who is not happy to be there because she is currently owned by Team Canada. But wow, she looks great. Yeah, those maple leaves are wonderful. Oh my gosh. I was just sap all over them. Landstorm cuts a promo. (laughs) I hate you so much. (laughs) It's going to be like a Timmy Hose reference in there or something. Uh, uh. <clears throat> if I could be serious for a minute Landstorm cuts a promo I can't be beat because I'm from Canada We all rise for the Canadian National Anthem 
but then the Misfits in Action theme or the WWE version of it interrupts it. General Erection comes out with the United States flag. He is the most intense wrestler in WCW, except for right now as he's slowly walking down to the ring waving the flag. This has to be dubbed in WWE-owned music because it is awful. Speaking of awful, Hacksaw looks awful here. Referee Scott Armstrong takes away the 2x4. Major Guns is on the outside of the ring, but she's not on the Canadian side of the ring, where Hacksaw or Lance, whoever the not-legal man in the match is, which would be where she should be, but whatever. Hacksaw starts off the match. Hacksaw Apparently, Hacksaw handed the colors down to Hugh Morris, the colors of the flag, before he turned heel. I didn't know it was his to hand out. Clothesline, Hacksaw over the top rope. Lance Storm is in, no tag. This match is apparently under Vancouver Tornado rules. Lance Storm and Hacksaw Jim Duggan hug. Major Guns cheers. Oh, and Mark Madden starts to imitate Jay from Jay and Silent Bob repeatedly. Hugh Morris no sells the chops, then gives his own to Lance Storm. Big boot to Lance Storm, 10 punches in the corner. Nope, nope, wait, it's only eight. We have an atomic drop to get out of the ring. Hacksaw back into the ring. Arm drag, kick, and a tag out. Hugh back body drops Lance to the outside. Hacksaw is back in, off the ropes. Lance grabs the ropes. Hugh falls to the floor. Then we all take a break to look at Major Guns. Hacksaw Jim Duggan punches Hugh Morris. Hacksaw threatens to throw the referee out. And then Hacksaw slowly beats up Hugh Morris. Foot in the corner. Lance Storm in. A lazy cover. Gets a two. Lance with a jawbreaker, sidekick, lazy cover, another two count. Hacksaw in, punches. Hugh Morris is selling a far worse beating than he actually receives in this match. Hacksaw slaps Hugh, does a three-point, ends up with a double clothesline. Both men are down. Major Gun starts cheering on General Erection. Lance Storm is in, sleeper. Is Hacksaw chanting Can-A-Da, like U-S-A? Hugh suplexes out of the sleeper hold. Hugh goes to suplex Lance, blind tag by Lance and Jim. Hugh outsmarts them, though. Canada collides with each other. Hugh fights both of them off. Hacksaw is down. Power slam onto Lance. Hacksaw breaks it up by kicking Lance in the face as he's the man with his shoulders down on the mat. Slam, then Lance on Jim Duggan, then Lance breaks that one up. Lance Storm off the ropes. Hugh drops down. Ref drops down. Lance Storm hops over both of them. Lance bumps into the ref. Now Hacksaw is the only one standing in the entire match. Hacksaw hits a pile driver on Hugh Morris, but there's no referee. Referee wakes up. Hugh kicks out, and then Jim falls onto the referee. Elix Skipper of Team Canada runs down with 2x4, but Major Gun hits him with the Canadian flag first. Major Gun grabs the 2x4. Lance takes it away from her. Guns pulls Lance off of the ring apron. Now the 2x4, after three people touch it, is finally in the ring. Hacksaw has the 2x4, Hugh ducks the 2x4 swing, and then Hacksaw swings the 2x4. Hugh wraps the 2x4 on Jim's neck, and then, quote, does that Bret Hart like leg grapevine fall backwards move that I can't remember the name for right now. The Sandman used to do it with his Singapore cane. It was called the White Russian Leg Sweep. Okay. Hugh is on top. Mark Maddens quotes Kevin Smith again with a fly, fat-ass fly. Hugh hits a moonsault on Jim Duggan, gets the pin. Major Guns rolls into the ring to celebrate. The rest of the Misfits in action are out. Hugh Morris is called the, quote, most deserving man in WCW. 
a year later this a year later in october 2001 for reasons this mia pro america gimmick would have been so over a year later that was debbie wasn't around but would have been over major guns decides to borrow hugh morris's usa shirt so she doesn't have the canadian one on anymore that has been your hot tag of the evening and ladies and gentlemen that is the kevin hellions halloween havoc breakdown um one thing i just want to say is missed opportunity here when major guns puts on the t-shirt major opportunity they should have had her take off the canadian top yes. and pull it out right am i wrong here? i actually thought she had at points yeah but no they didn't so uh, you nailed that kevin i mean you were very thorough with your notes i was i was i tried worked extra hard on this one give it the old college drive educator anything you want to add to that or kevin nail it he nailed it uh well the only thing he didn't nail is the fact that uh you know General Erection didn't nail anything of that moonsault. He completely missed Duggan. Maybe, maybe glazed his forehead into Duggan's arm. That is about it. Uh, Glazed like a T-hose. Like a Timmy hose, baby. Um, Yeah, so. Unfortunately, Duggan was out of position. And when Hugh does that that moonsault, I mean, he really does coast a good third to halfway across the ring. Duggan was just too close to the turnbuckle and... Yeah, there was just nothing really that could have been done. Um, So we follow that up with a commercial for the next pay-per-view, which is Mayhem. Do you guys want to cover that one? Let's just do all WCW in 2000. I don't hate myself that much. Okay, okay. Yeah, I don't either. Then we get a a Jeff Jarrett interview, and then we get a Jeff Jarrett Sting video, and I remember nothing of this feud. Like I said, I was checked out of WCW. Um, So this was fascinating to me. Um, I kind of like what they were doing, though. I kind of understand the intent of the run-ins and, you know, him trying to get away and escape his previous incarnations and be reborn or something, I guess. I don't know, but it it just did not portray well on TV. Am I crazy? Okay, so just imagine the same storyline, but instead of Jeff Jarrett, it's Vampiro. Like... It doesn't could have worked the, so well. It doesn't yeah. fit the Jeff Jarrett character. No, doesn't. I mean, I enjoyed the idea of Jeff Jarrett's Firefly Funhouse. I did not enjoy the execution of it. Yeah, I just rambling roadie. I, don't, <laughs> I just don't. I I don't. It just doesn't fit. You know him, like, but but a fascinating like look, especially when you've never seen this pay per view and you're watching this match and you're like. Here comes the what and two. What's up with all these fake sticks? Like every pay per view, there's like four fake sticks. I mean, yeah. If if they wanted an original idea, it should have been Lex Luger and Ric Flair. People dressed up as Luger and Flair for every time they turned on Sting. Yeah, it would have been the same number of people coming out. Yeah, it's just Probably. it is something. So, uh, educator, why don't you go ahead and break this one down for us? <laughs> oh, baby. I know. I kind of wish I would have given Kevin the smash you now looking at it. But. I, I mean, honestly, like the whole card. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Ladies and gentlemen, buckle up your chin straps because this is going to be a bumpy ride. So we see the start of the match with Sting. Maybe I should refer to him as Mr. Borden. Sting OG attacking. Sting. <laughs> Sting attacking Jeff Jarrett on the floor as he rushes the ring. He pushes him into the guardrail and ends up hitting a chair shot into Jarrett's shoulder. Apparently, that's not a DQ already in the match. 
Back in the ring, Stinger hits a, a Stinger splash. He goes for a second Stinger splash attempt on a different turnbuckle. Jarrett does move out of the way, uh, but Sting is able to stop himself from crashing and burning. Sting ends up hitting a reverse atomic drop to knock, knock Jarrett down. Then all of a sudden we see uh, on the entryway, we hear some, over the microphone a howling, and we see a, a larger muscular wrestler dressed as an old version of Sting. Now, commentators talk about how this is supposedly the 1989 Sting uh, version of Sting from the first Halloween Havoc. He's wearing, like, greenish gear. He's got the flat top hair. A, a very, very jacked, muscular wrestler um, cosplaying, basically, as Sting. Sting ends up going up to the entrance ramp and ends up to the aisleway and ends up uh, confronting this fake Sting. They start brawling back and forth. Eventually, uh, Sting hits the uh, Scorpion Death Drop on the imposter Sting on the stage and then proceeds to turn his efforts back into the match. He is brawling in the crowd with Jeff Jarrett. And all of a sudden now coming on from the upper bowl down the entrance ramp or down the steps, I should say, towards ringside. There is a second imposter sting in a completely different getup. This is a, uh, a getup of a uh, pink outfit that the commentators are saying this is supposedly 1990 sting uh, from the Great American Bash other than the uh, red, white and blue jacket. And this particular Sting starts brawling with the real Sting. Apparently, there's not a DQ for this. They eventually fight and get into the ringside area, brawl in the ring. The real Sting tosses the imposter Sting over the top rope and onto the floor. They continue to brawl up the aisleway towards the stage, and the real Sting throws the fake Sting through the staging curtain back towards the locker room. Um, the real sting then hits another scorpion death drop onto the imposter sting the second imposter sting, uh, on the stage. And now all of a sudden we're all set with that particular imposter sting attempts to get back into the ring and continue to focus on his match with Jeff Jarrett. And then all of a sudden we hear the wolf pack music play over the intercom and a third sting now starts walking towards the ring from the entrance ramp. It is now NWO Wolfpack Sting in the black and the red paint, wearing his black singlet and a T-shirt, carrying a baseball bat to ringside. This is uh, Face Sting high-fiving fans as he's working his way down the ring. The real Sting attacks the, the now third bogus Sting on the floor. They brawl up to the ramp. Sting eventually hits the Scorpion Death Drop on the NWO Wolfpack Imposter Sting. Uh, Jarrett is able to grab the baseball bat that the third Imposter Sting uh, had with him and smacks Sting pretty hard with that baseball bat. Jarrett ends up hitting a standing front suplex onto the real Sting on the stage. Jarrett rams Sting into the guardrail, tosses Sting back into the ring. Eventually, Jarrett starts working a sleeper hold onto Sting, dropping him down to the canvas. Referee Slick Johnson does the infamous three-hand drop on the third attempt. Sting keeps his arm in the air and ends up mounting a comeback. Sting escapes and ends up doing a sleeper hold of his own to Jeff Jarrett. Jeff Jarrett escapes by doing a belly-to-back suplex. He rolls over onto Sting, gets a two-count from referee Slick Johnson. 
Sting eventually mounts another comeback. He hits a clothesline. He sets up uh, Jeff Jarrett for the Scorpion Deathlock in the ring, turns over, and then a fourth imposter Sting is involved. He cuts through the canvas mat and breaks up through the entrance or the ring air, uh, the ring mat itself with a baseball bat. And Sting ends up dragging Sting down through the canvas under the ring. There's a commotion for about 10, 15 seconds. All of a sudden, the real Sting emerges with the imposter Sting, who is apparently busted open from a brawl that they had under the ring. The real Sting emerges and sends the fake Sting over the top rope and onto the floor. Sting is now doing two more scorpion splashes, or stinger splashes, I should say. He attempts to go for the scorpion death drop. As he sets up Jarrett for the scorpion death drop and has it hooked, the lights go out, and a fifth imposter sting now repels from the ceiling. This imposter sting is wearing the black and white getup, just like the fourth imposter sting that had broken through uh, the mat itself. The real Sting goes to attack the fifth imposter who had just dropped down through the ceiling. Uh, they brawl on around the aisleway over by the announce table. The imposter Sting gets set up on the announce table. Real Sting does the scorpion death drop, dropping the fifth imposter Sting through the announce table. Back in the ring, Sting, uh, the real Sting does a double leg takedown to Jeff Jarrett. Attempts to lock the Scorpion Deathlock into Jeff Jarrett and the fourth imposter sting that was busted open does get back into the ring, uh, grabs a guitar from Jeff from Jeff Jarrett's stash that he had, smashes the guitar over the real sting's head. Real sting does not sell that guitar shot, no sells it, does a scorpion death drop to that fourth sting imposter. So now all five sting imposters have been hit with the scorpion death drop in this match. Jeff Jarrett, while he was Sting was handling the fourth Sting imposter, grabs a second guitar, smashes that second guitar over Sting's head, knocking him down. There is guitar debris all over the ring. Somehow Slick Johnson doesn't process that there should be a DQ. Jeff Jarrett ends up pinning the real Sting one, two, three after that guitar shot. What a cluster. <laughs> Sting looks like a beast for beating up everyone until Jarrett's guitar shot here. Jarrett looks weak. You took all of these people, still couldn't beat Sting. Sting's fighting one of them on the outside. You're still laying on your back when he gets back in the ring to put in the um, scorpion there. I, I did find it to be the most entertaining sports entertainment match of the night because it's just so over the top and so ridiculous. <laughs> Commentary was fantastic in this match because I think they were just having a blast because it was so over the top. I enjoyed... It's 1990s thing. Uh, he should have gotten disqualified for throwing his opponent over the top rope. That was just funny. Surprised the heck out of me there. Um... But then there was a line of, oh, the sleeper is the move of the night. If anything's a move of the night, it means you're doing it too much. There should not be a move of the night at all. Uh, I did appreciate Where's the Black Scorpion. That was a good reference and joke for it. As just like a tribute to Sting, there's a lot of stupid little things in this match I enjoy the heck out of. And, and my favorite Sting, I don't know who has the time machine. I don't know who 
is the fortune teller working for WCW at the time, but I did appreciate seeing AEW Sting come out and get dri- driven through the announce table. I, I believe they called him the Sting from 2025. They were this close. They're so close to it. Looks just like him right now, though. <laughs> so many Stings. And, o- and only one of them lost their fake hair. It's good to see Barry Windham, though, get a paycheck tonight. So, <laughs> Man, Barry Windham looked jacked. <laughs> Part of me wanted to look up who all of them were, and part of me just didn't care enough. I was curious, too, who they were. They probably were just extras, though, I would imagine, or power plant guys. Power, probably um, power plant guys. They're trained at least enough to take a bump. Which which is more than that intergender match. So, <laughs> I, I mean, uh, so we followed that up with a Booker T video, uh, and, and we, we're, we're getting the Booker T-Scott Steiner feud. And then we go into match number 10, which is for the World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, even though it is the co-main event, I, I did like, though, that they, how they explained it. That, yes. that Booker T wanted his match moved up so Goldberg could have more time for his concussion, which makes sense. And that's, that's good on the champion, but still, that title match should have gone on last. I also like the fact that the, with Scott Steiner flipping out when Booker T's in the ring, he's in the back. He's screaming at one of the production agents, former wrestler Ricky Santana, as to why is Booker T out in the ring or the main event? Are we go on last. San- Ricky Santana is just explaining to him, look, it's here it is. It's right here on the sheet. You're up next. You're out now. He just destroys Ricky Santana. And then Medeja just follows him out, and they go out to the ring for their match. Tough night for those sitting in the go position. Yeah, the yeah. go position was not a good night. Uh, so what did you guys think of this one? I mean, if, if they're trying to build Scott Steiner for the psycho character who's going to snap and do whatever he wants, I guess it did its job. I just it, it didn't he didn't completely dis- in my view, he didn't completely destroy Booker T um, or he should have just had a sound victory here and took the title. I, I, I feel at this point they're obviously setting up for the title change for the next pay-per-view anyway. I, they probably should have just started it now. I mean, honestly, with all of Steiner's interactions with Stevie Ray there, I would have liked something like uh, WWE did recently with the Usos and Stevie Ray thrown in the towel for his brother in this match. Like, I think there's a lot you could have done to to build up Harlem Heat, the bond that they had. You know, Stevie Ray's mostly retired here, looking out for his brother. Scott Steiner's just this, you know, destroying everyone because he's unhinged. I, I think you could have had something more interesting here. That said, the bar is not set that high, or the ridiculous like three, four foot long pipe is not set that high. I think it was the best match of the night. To be honest, I didn't even think of what the best match of the night was because <laughs> there wasn't really anything that stuck out in in my mind. But um, all right, educator, why don't you go ahead and break down this world title match so we've got booker t coming to the ring with his rendition of don't hate the player hate the game uh have his harlem heat music we got scott steiner with his sirens blaring his entrance to the ring with medasia bringing the extra gorgeous uh we start off the match in the ring scott steiner hits a back elbow and wait a minute what? wait a minute are you okay what you, me, you did the hot tag. Yeah. I didn't reach for Hellions for the hot tag. Wait. You gave Hellions the hot tag. That's my segment. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. 
Is this a Vince Russo swerve? I think it is. Hot tag. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, you are getting two, not one, but two Halloween Havoc breakdowns from Kevin Hellions. Because you know why his breakdown of the first one was just too many notes. He knew it was coming. We had to swerve him. So, ladies and gentlemen, Kevin Hellions breakdown Halloween Havoc. Was this decided last recording? When when was this decided? Don't worry about when we decided things, okay? Oh man! All right. You you yourself said this would be match of the night, so I sell did. us on it. Sell I us. I did. I did. All right. Sorry, I did my run through for the rules for this. So just if you forgot, go back, listen again, and then come back here. We'll wait. We'll be here. Okay. Michael Buffer ring introductions. Scott Steiner attacks Ricky Santana because he's not in the main event. OMG, Medeja's ass. Medeja's front. You're such a Booker, Booker T, champion versus Scott Steiner with Medeja with a pipe. I know she's had work done, but I don't care. New announce table. Scott Steiner gets in Stevie Ray's face, then the fans' faces. The drunk escort is still in the front row. There's tape on the canvas, not a second canvas. Way to spend money, guys. Booker gets the crowd clapping. They're in each other's faces. Separation. Arm lock. Big elbow. Booker is loopy, and Scott starts beating him. Elbow by Booker T. Flying forearm. Scott Steiner rolls to the outside. Scott Steiner in, in the crowd, in the fans' faces, back in, knee, clubs, kicks. Scott Steiner with some speed off the ropes, Booker leaps, kicks. Uh, another run th- on the ropes, cross body, punches in the corner. Medeja distracts Booker T. Scott Steiner kicks Booker T outside of the ring, chair shot. There is a fight in the crowd, again. Scott Steiner slams Booker through the announce table, then trash talks Stevie Ray. Best quote. Oh no, that's our last table. Back in the ring, forearm, elbow, two count. Submission move, Booker T fights back, hits a reverse neck breaker. Axe kick attempt, but Scott Steiner counters with a clothesline. Steiner with a Simone drop type thing off of the second turnbuckle, does some push-ups, no pin attempt. Booker T fights back, Steiner counters with a mule nut kick. Big belly-to-belly suplex, two count. Steiner runs into is into Booker T's boot. Booker leapfrogs. Scott falls out of the ring into the guardrail. Counters that with a clothesline, though. Both men back in the ring. Booker T with a sloppy roll-up, two count. Booker hits a kick, goes up. Scott catches him. Scott goes down. Medeja knocks Booker down. Both men recover, back up. Booker hits a missile drop kick from the top rope, only for two count. This time the X kick connects. Medeja gives Scott the pipe. Booker goes for a kick. Steiner holds up the pipe. Booker runs his leg straight into the pipe. Scott Steiner puts the referee into the tree of woe. Steiner recliner, second ref runs in. Scott takes him out. Steiner recliner again. Third ref calls for the bell. Matches over. Uh, Booker wins by DQ. Steiner starts hitting everyone with the pipe. Steiner attacks Booker T's knee with a chair. Scott gets into Stevie Ray's face. Jeff Jarrett comes out to calm down Steiner. 
match of the night until the ending. I love unhinged Scott Steiner. And that has been your second and maybe final. We're not sure yet. We may have them do another one. Halloween Havoc Breakdown. I'm just wondering how we're doing a hot tag for Santa with Muscles. <laughs> You'll know when it comes to you. Every time you see Mila Kunis, you do a hot tag. Mila Kunis is in? It's her first roll, man. She's like seven. No. <laughs> oh. Never mind. <laughs> I, oh, yeah. I was hoping you're you, like, oh. I'll have to, oh. I'll have to uh, edit that out for the authorities. <laughs> All of a sudden, you're going to think it's Scott Stanner's theme music. Nope, police. Nope. <laughs> would that be another sting? <laughs> yes, yes, it would be another yeah, sting. Please. Yes, it would be. Very good. That's too smart for the crowd, though. So, <laughs> uh, You nailed it, Kevin. <laughs> I have nothing to add. I've got nothing either, All man. Right, why don't we get into this real quick? Because our main event is like five minutes long. It is Chronic taking on Goldberg. We get the video. And then we get the match, the handicap elimination match. Uh, so, Educator, are you going to break this one down, or is Kevin going to break this one down? Oh, we got to finish the show strong. So we're going to let Hellions ride this one out, and uh, we're going to we're going to let McCar- we're going to let the Educator finish her up here. So we get Chronic entering the ring. We see Brian Adams coming to the ring with a microphone in his hand. He gets on the mic saying that Goldberg isn't cleared. Uh, we're all about breaking necks and cashing checks. Doesn't matter. We're going to be the winners tonight. The goal, the winning streak is is over. He's going to be gone. His career is for WCW is over. And then we see cut to the back, the officials, the medical from the Nevada State Athletic Commission's telling Doug Dillinger, because he's the authority to tell, um, you know, that uh, Goldberg is cleared so that he's ready to go for their, for his match. Goldberg gets the big walk through the backstage entrance. He comes to the ring. He charges the ring, uh, storms the ring, only to get double teamed by Chronic. Both Chronic members are doing forearms and fists. They send Goldberg through uh, the ropes out onto the floor. Brian Clark hits a very stiff uh, reverse knife edge chop onto Goldberg's chest. More continued double teaming on the floor. They toss Goldberg back into the ring and are essentially uh, prepping to do a double-team maneuver uh, where they bring a table into the ring and set it up so that they can do their finish, their like double choke slam finish into this table. Brian Adams sets the table up into the ring, standing it up in the corner, and in the background, Brian Clark hits a DDT onto Goldberg. Chronic stands up Goldberg, set, sets him up next to the table, Tease that they're going to do the double choke slam H bomb, you know, kind of choke slam finisher. Uh, Goldberg ends up fighting off both men. He does a standing sidekick to Brian Adams to knock Brian Adams through the ropes onto the floor. Brian Clark attempts to suplex Goldberg into that standing table. Goldberg is able to uh, sneak out from behind on the rotation over. Goldberg uh, reverses out of that suplex attempt, ducks a clothesline attempt by Brian Clark, spears Brian Clark through the table. Goldberg attempts to pull Brian Clark back into the ring uh, because of the way the table spot broke, but instead Brian Clark ends up resting his back against the leaning broken table. Goldberg decides to go for the pinfall where... Again, Brian Clark's shoulders are not flat down on the canvas. They're flat down on the partially broken table. Referee Mickey J still makes the count, and we hear the bell ring. Even though the bell rings after the pinfall count, 
Commentary is like, no, the match continues. It's an elimination. Brian Clark does get back into the ring. He slaps on a full Nelson onto Goldberg, and he actually does the full Nelson slam, very similar to the Patriots' uncle slam finish that he used to do. Commentary is putting over that no one has ever done that to Goldberg before. Uh, he goes for the pinfall attempt onto Goldberg, only gets a two count. Goldberg ends up reversing an Irish whip attempt by Brian Adams. He ends up hitting a leapfrog over Adams, bounces off, or turns around, and then hits the spear onto Brian Adams. Goldberg makes the sign that he's going for the jackhammer, picks up Brian Adams, hits the jackhammer, one, two, three, pinfall victory. And within about nine, 10 seconds, we're out of time, ladies and gentlemen, and WCW signs off the air. Yeah, super quick. I mean, it's a Goldberg match anyways, but they just rush to that ending and the credits and that's it. I, I got to say, this being our last credits at the end of the show, cameraman, production people, all of that. I, I enjoyed that because you always would see, you know, random names and not realize they're with the company as agents or whatever. I forget which announcer said that, but one of them was talking about Goldberg and, you know, uh, fighting hard, coming back from everything, taking on both the guys and saying the WCW heroes. And I thought, you know, that would have been a great marketing gimmick. The WCW heroes, like the WWF, WWE superstars, like that could have been theirs through Goldberg, Sting, Booker T. Honestly, the way they're going with it, with a pro America thing, the misfits in action, like put all them up there, the WCW heroes and just merchandise the hell out of all of it. I liked chronic as a team because I like two guys that just go out there and beat the hell out of everyone and they don't have to be flashy. They're just strong and beat everyone up. Obviously road warriors and LOD are the, best ever in that role demolition started out as a copy of that gimmick and became great on their own and i've thought i thought maybe chronic was the next version of that that would just dominate and collect tag titles forever i there's like five to ten other teams over the years that i thought oh here we go we got that gimmick again and it's just never happened i i would compare wcw's chronic towards towards the end of wcw's run to farouk and bradshaw the apa Especially with the breaking necks and cash and checks, yeah, exactly. yeah, absolutely. That's 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 what I look at them. It's it's their version of that gimmick. Yeah, and but you got Chronic, who is over in a weird way, is your most dominant tag team. Has already won the titles before, and they're destroyed by one guy. Granted, that guy's Goldberg, but he also, as you're playing it up, has a concussion and defeats both of them in five minutes. You've destroyed your number one tag team, which I know like WWF does that constantly. Oh, let's just have Triple H come out and destroy the tag division tonight because we're bored and whatever. It's typical Goldberg. It's because they're doing this new streak gimmick again. Yeah, but 13, also this 14 is, and 0. It's crazy. Yeah, th this is how you end the pay-per-view. Yeah. Like that's it. It's just uh, and WCW's last pay-per-view is what, March, I believe, and then bought up shortly after. I think the reason they end with this is what else do you end with? I mean, that's also true. You can't end with that sting ending. You can't end with uh, the Scott Steiner Booker T ending. Like what else do you got? You're absolutely right. This is the best uh, out of your main event level talent. This is your best match to end with because it's, it's the happy ending. Go home. I guess the happy ending would have been general erection. Send them home happy with general Hugh Rechkin. Hugh G. Rechkin. You know, major guns and a happy ending is not the worst idea you've ever had. Yeah. I've had some bad ideas, too. 
Mm-hmm. They'll have a six-hour walk home with Kevin. So. <laughs> too soon. All right, guys. Too, too soon. That is going to put a cap on the Halloween Havoc series. Oh, God. What a collection oh, a long way. of pay-per-views. Now, what a three-month run. Huh? Three-month run is right. All right. So there is not a match in the top five, is there? No, no way. Okay, I'm not even to announce what the top five matches are because if you want to know what that is, you got to listen to the run-in on Monday. Ooh. Okay. Uh, but we do have to rank where this pay-per-view ranks in our list. So let's start at the bottom and work our way up. Is it better than 1995's Halloween Havoc, which of course was the Monster Trucks? No, it's not. No. Yeah, I would rather watch the Monster <laughs> Trucks again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And that was there after is, baby. that was after I said on the Monster Truck Rally, yeah, I'm good for never watching this in years. I would rather watch that again right now and do another episode of it right now than this than 2000 yeah. again. Yeah, uh, yeah, this is the worst one we've we've watched. Um, so once again, if you want to know what our favorite Halloween Havoc pay per views are, join us on Monday's edition of the Running. That's a tease, guys. Love it. Sell it. All right, that's what we're gonna do. We're out of time. Um, no. So yeah, guys, that's it. Next time you hear from us, well, hopefully it'll be the run in on Monday, but on our regularly scheduled Thursdays, it is Christmas Eve, which means it is time for the gingerbread house show. That is right. We are covering Hulk Hogan's infamous Christmas classic Santa with muscles. Now you guys have not seen this yet. Still still haven't watched it. Oh boy. Oh boy! Oh fire I'm trying to find a day that the whole family can gather around. We can watch it together. You know what? Please watch it with Elise and with Declan. I'm dead serious. I would like to know their reaction. I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can convince Riley to watch it with me as well. There you go. I'm watching it this weekend. So, who are you watching it with? Uh, yeah, she's from Canada. You don't know her. <laughs> she's from Calgary, Alberta, yeah. Canada. Yeah. What? Line up the wrestling buddies. Yeah, she's from uh, she's Miss Calgary. You don't know who she is. <laughs> it's my model. It's my model girlfriend from Canada. You don't know who she is. She's Miss Calgary. Uh, you know, nineteen ninety-seven. Oh, what a callback! It's <laughs> for our longtime <laughs> listeners, uh, aka Joe, Adam Van, and Crone Meltzer. <laughs> so, no, we'll get it. We'll get it. Uh, no, that is all we got for you guys on this show. Uh, so let's just do a quick little rundown of things coming up. Of course, the run-in. We got the Halloween Havoc episode of the run-in coming in up on Monday. Next week on Thursday is our Christmas treat for you guys. It is the Gingerbread House Show with Santa with Muscles. Uh, there will be no run-in for then two weeks, okay? Because we are going to start fresh in uh, 2021. Uh, we do have our blooper and commercial episode and guys we had a blooper tonight kevin's poor wife let's just all i'm gonna say i might kick i might start off the blooper reel with that one uh that'll be odd the show that's gonna drop on new year's eve and then january 7th we start with saturday night's main event the house show is bringing saturday night to thursday morning um yeah that's all i got for you guys educator do you want to say anything as we wrap up this haunted house show? I want to say happy holidays to all of our listeners out there. I appreciate your willingness to continue to give us your support, your listens, your downloads to our show. 
As always, thank you to my two colleagues here. Always fun to get together every week to discuss uh, pay-per-view shows from yesteryear. Uh, some some are diamonds in the rough, and some are just awful, awful memories of of things that should have just never happened. Uh, thanks again to the Retro Network for your continuous support, and uh, look forward to our future projects uh, looming in the distance that are about to uh, manifest themselves. Yeah, and as always, I just want to say thank you to my co-host, number one. I couldn't do it without you guys, literally, so thank you. Well, it could be me and Crow Meltzer, but, you know, you two are, are okay in my book as well. So thank you guys for that. Uh, of course, I want to thank the Retro Network um, for everything you guys have done for us, for hosting us, giving us a platform to talk wrestling. Um, yeah, and if you need me, follow me on Twitter at Maddie Treats. Um, and, and thank you guys. This has been a lot of fun to do. And we will see you next week for Santa with Muscles. You guys don't understand how excited I am for this. So, Kevin Hallians, why don't you take us home? All right. Thank you guys for another great show here. Thank you to Retro Network for hosting us. Thank you to WWE Network for the content. Thank you to Richard Reader and Jason Gross for our logo. You can follow us across the internet at TRN House Show. You can follow me at Mass Library and MassLibrary.com is the home blog. You can follow Matt at Maddie Treats. As always, the educator is not on social media and he's the smartest of us for doing so. Shout out to our friends over at Odds with Wrestling and a big shout out to all of the doppelganger kevin hellions across the internet we don't know which one's the real one but much like there was 20 stings that came out there are other versions of me across the internet and maybe they'll be on the show next year this has been a presentation of the retro network